and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Of the many ways that in-person meetings have had to change in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, perhaps none will be as significant as how event food and beverage is handled. How tables are configured, food is served, and coffee breaks conducted are among the many aspects of F&B that have been reassessed or totally transformed in an effort to ensure attendee safety. With so much changing, North Star Meetings Group recently hosted a webcast featuring Tracy Stuckrath, owner of Thrive Meetings and Events, and an expert on food safety and allergies. She discussed the range of questions that planners should be asking, from staff training to food sourcing and room design. On this episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, we share some highlights from that conversation. And to view the full webcast on demand and earn CMP credits, visit northstarmeetingsgroup.com backslash food webcast. Hi, everybody. Tracy Stuckrath. We're going to talk about how food and beverage is going to change after COVID-19. As we've seen over the last couple of months, Everything that we do as event planners is changing daily on how we're going to be functioning when we do get back to meetings. So we got to roll with the punches like we normally do and just do what we do best. Event professionals have a duty of care to ensure the safety of their attendees across the board, booking airline tickets, booking excursions, things like that but it does also include food and beverage and what we serve. And I started using this term when I was talking about dietary restrictions, which still plays into food safety as well. But this adds a whole nother level of what we're doing. And it's an attention to details that we really didn't pay attention to in the past, myself included, but food safety is something that was always kept behind the kitchen door and with our catering partners. And we need to knock that door down with their help and bring everything that they did up front and front and center, because this will be an optics experience for us to provide safe environments for our attendees, for all of our stakeholders. You're, if you're an association, you know, you've got your board of directors, you've got your sponsors, you've got your attendees, your members, What? kind of safe environment does that mean for all of us and that comes with understanding where our food comes from that means providing personal protective equipment to all of the people serving our food as well as potentially serving giving them to our attendees and a lot of the questions that i've gotten over the last couple of months is do we have to require gloves for all of our attendees do we have to require masks and as you can see from the news, if you're still watching the news, is that we need to understand what's going on in the city and the state that we're having the event in and what the likelihood of it is for that city and state of containment of COVID-19. I posted earlier today in my Facebook group the World Health Organization's new standards and the CDC has some new standards as well. Both of them actually point out that we really need to do an assessment of our events. And this is a 
something else that we have to add to our plate on that assessment is how do we, what steps do we need to take to provide a safer food and beverage experience? And food safety has always been there, but what optics do we need to provide to ensure that our customers and our attendees feel safer? So that's doing some different audits that we probably have not done in the past and adding additional questions to our requests for proposals from our properties. The next thing is talking about the food supply. You know, we kind of take it for granted when we get that apple off of a buffet. We don't necessarily know where that apple came from. We just know it came from the hotel or convention center, right? But that apple was picked from a tree. And then that tree picker person, you know, put it in a truck, in a basket, and then they took it somewhere else, and then someone else touched it. There's a lot of people in that trucking system there to get it from the tree to your buffet. And we need to be asking questions of what are the practices that the food suppliers have or that our hotel and convention centers and catering companies have with the food suppliers they're purchasing. Do they have different regulations that they're following? What standards do they make them adhere to before it comes into their property? We need to be asking the questions and some planners have asked me, are our catering partners gonna be willing to do this? Answer these questions. And the ones that I have been talking to is yes. They know that this is more front and center to us as planners and as the attendees wanting to know where the food is coming from and what practices are in place. So they do know they have to be a lot more transparent with what they're doing. And kind of going back to the safe environment and food supply as well is on the American Hotel and Lodging Association, they've actually created minimum standards that they want all of their members to adhere to. All of the hotel property brands have signed on to those standards and also are creating their own standards above and beyond that. So if you're going to have a meeting in a Hilton or a Marriott or a Westin or whatever, you need to ask them, what are your current standards that you have that we can share? And, and with our partners as well as with our guests. COVID-19 has not been proven to be passed through food. So that's the good part, right? But there are a lot of people, like I said, that touch that food before it gets to us. So one way that food gets unsafe is by not cooking it at the right temperatures and not keeping it at the right temperatures when it's done cooking or when it's done being prepared. So anything that's cold needs to be kept under a temperature of 41 or under 41 degrees to maintain its coldness. And then above for hot food, above 135 degrees. And if it gets into the temperature danger zone, which is 41 to 135, that's where we can bacteria starts to grow. So chatting with your food and beverage partners about if you're having a buffet or their hot boxes or food is being transferred to an offsite venue, you know, how are they monitoring the time and temperature control for that food and beverage? It can also be contained in, so that's bacterial contamination. It can be become unsafe by physical contamination and think pieces of hair, fingernails, things like that. So talking to your food and beverage partners about what their food safety practices are for their employees and sanitation. And so that's one other way. And then the other one is with chemicals. And so thinking of the 
cleaning supplies that a property probably uses. Somebody accidentally pours something into some food or something like that. In the last decade, we've seen recalls on grapefruits and on romaine lettuce and for listeria and E. coli and salmonella. We need to continue to pay attention to those or we need to start paying attention to those because that does impact what we're buying. And when you're looking at designing your food and beverage menus, if you've decided and partnered with the chef to say, hey, I'm going to have romaine lettuce salad at this event, the and there's a recall on romaine that you saw on the news, you need to go back and talk to them. How do we change that menu? What are we going to do? And it does become really, really important. One example of that is that I went to dinner with my mom and my grandmother a couple years ago to a restaurant and I wanted a salad and all three of their salads were made with romaine. And it was during the the recall of romaine and I asked the waitress, I said, okay, there's a recall on romaine. Are you, did you change your salads out? And she looked at me dead in the face and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so the manager came over and said, yes, or Romaine is safe. It came from a different provider, things like that. But that's something that servers should have been able to answer. And so making sure that your food and beverage partners are communicating to their service staff who is front facing to your, your attendees is really, really important. So food code, the USDA food code or US FDA food code is written every five years is updated every five years and it is the basis for standards across our country to create food safe environments every state is allowed to take that food code and modify it or add to it for their own state and or city regulation so we need to be asking and understanding what the food code is for that specific supplier and that specific state and I know on, I'm working to put it on my website as well, but I know that Food Safety Magazine, food safety dot, I think it's foodsafety.com or foodsafety.org, does have a link to all the health departments of every state of where you can download the food codes for that state. Some basics for the food code in general are hand washing procedures. Even to work in a kitchen, you have to have a food, food handler certification or a food safety certification from your state or national service center. ServeSafe, S-E-R-V-S-A-F-E.com has one that's utilized by most cities and states across the country. You can go take that certification yourself so that you can understand the basics of those certifications and what your food and beverage partners must do. But Hand, hand washing is one of the major things that everybody has to do. Also, like this chef is doing here in this picture, is the sanitation processes for cleaning equipment in the back of the house. And really, those codes were designed for back of the house. But as we move forward, I think you're going to see that jumping to the front of the house, too. If you have linenless tables, what are your procedures for cleaning those tables? And how often will you do that? Every property has to have a certified food safety manager on duty at all times. So as an event planner, you need to be asking your catering partner, who is that food safety person on site with my event? 
And so understanding that and who that is and put that information as an addendum to your contracts. Put their food safety code or their processes and their procedures as an addendum to your contract so everybody's aware of those procedures and it's documented. And then make sure you have it readily available when you're on site as well. So kitchen practices. This is a big one. I mean, we've got a lot of people working in a kitchen and a hotel kitchen is going to be a lot bigger than a restaurant kitchen, but some hotel kitchens are not huge either. And you can see a lot of people in this kitchen and they're standing side by side. I really don't think that kitchens are going to be able to do social distancing six, you know, six feet apart from each other in that kitchen. So you need to talk to your food and beverage partners about what they're doing. Are they requiring your the staff, the chefs to wear masks and gloves and hats or hairnets. I, I actually went to dinner a couple of weeks ago at a restaurant and while I was standing in line to place our order, I had a doorway view of the kitchen and you know half the staff was wearing gloves, half the staff was wearing hats, half the staff was wearing masks. So I should have probably walked out at that point, but what questions do we have to ask? You know, how, what are they going to be doing in the back of the house? How are they, you can see those stacks of dishes there, I think that are going to be prepped for different meals. How is that all going to be handled? How are hot boxes going to be handled to move the food out and store the food? Some planners I've talked to have gotten higher prices for food and beverage for even for next year. They're looking at raising those prices for next year. You need to understand too, are they raising the prices for additional staff to serve the food? And we'll get into that in a minute or, and, or for their cleaning practices. I did see a quote from somebody from Marriott that was on a webinar earlier this week saying right now, they don't, there is not a standard practice of adding those additional costs onto passing them onto the meeting planners, but I think it's going to be property to property. So you need to understand that. Can your catering partners order direct from the food, from the farmers to help maybe reduce some of the costs that they have from transporting across the country using local and seasonal foods instead? And I'm going to jump to this next picture, this upper left-hand corner buffet style like that. We're not going to see that for a while. We're going to see it one-sided and this one's a double-sided buffet. It's going to be one-sided and it's going to be service staff serving the food to your attendees. So you need to look at additional labor costs for that potentially because and having additional labor. Hotel, uh, everybody's furloughed a lot of people or laid off a lot of staff and hourly workers have gone on to find other jobs, potentially making sure that when they come back, the staffing levels are neat, that they need to serve it single-sided with a server is going to be a question that you need to ask. You know, do you have enough staff to do this? How are we going to do it? the upper right hand corner, you know, it's not going to be a free for all, go grab that sandwich in that bowl anymore. We need to make sure that things are covered, you know, shaping dishes like the one on the left, but with covers on them. There are some clear covers that you can get that our catering partners can get so you can actually see the food versus opening it up and, you know, opening that shaping dish up and having to look at it at that point. But we're going to have to talk about covered foods past appetizers are going to go away for a good while because that's out in the open for everybody to touch 
and for that server to potentially contaminate it. You're going to see, and then the one on the right-hand side is the teacups. That just illustrates the fact that water coolers and self-serve coffee are not going to happen anytime soon either. You're going to have to have a server serving those as well. The preferably do not go to water bottle bottled water because we also do need to be sustainable and maintain our practices. But you know, can you have a server there serving the coffee? It actually may upgrade the service level that you have and may make your attendees feel safer by having that service person there. I don't have a picture of a box lunch on here. I do have an example later on, but I think you're going to see a lot of boxed or bagged lunches going forward as well. And your food service, how you're going to serve it, the timing of it is really important because if you typically have a large group of people coming into a room for lunch or breakfast or a meal function, you might have to actually stagger your times of lunch and you and, and or breakfast, which means you might actually have to stagger your agenda time. How are you going to manage that in? Or you're going to have to send food into smaller breakout rooms. So individuals are eating in smaller groups versus larger groups. But you know, we're ingenious. Meeting planners, we can pull really big rabbits out of really tiny hats. So we need to learn how to come up with some creative ways to do this and talk to your catering partners about this. Think about when you were in elementary school and Johnny's class went at 1130 and Tracy's class went at 12 and Lisa's class went at 1230. So how can you stagger that? Or how can you design the floor plan so that it is socially distanced. I do think we also are going to have to have designated entrances and exits for our meeting space. You're going to have to talk to your fire marshal about that, depending on the size of your group. You know, how many people can go in? You see the different buffet stations as well, video bars or just bars in general, depending on how many people you have. We can't have long lines of people waiting for those bars to get their food, to get their drinks. So how can you add more bars, which is additional labor as well? How can you add more bars to the meeting space so that people can get their drinks? And then speaking of bars, you're talking about contactless registrations, contactless badge pickup, et cetera, mailing them to your attendees. But what about the cash bar? Does your hotel have a way for me to Venmo money to that server to pay for my drink? Or is there a different way that they can ring that up so that I can pay it without cash and using my credit card. So is that a technology that's already out there that a hotel can utilize or a catering company can utilize to help instigate or to help instigate that opportunity? The next slide is another floor plan. Again, this is from that same event. You know, this is, this is how our tables were set up on the right hand side here. You know, 10 people to a table. That's probably three or four feet between those tables. And because, you know, sometimes it's really hard to get through tables once everybody's hit. But I put those big X's. You know, we need to separate those tables out at least by six feet. And on the left here, I did this grid. Typically, we have the 10 people, but if we're following the six foot distance, this is a 72 inch round, which is perfect because the people across the table from each other are six feet apart. But these two on the upper left hand corner here, um, they're only 4.2 feet apart. So that's not going to work for six feet. So you have to go to three people at a table. 
And that's really limiting this floor plan with our social distancing on our floor plans. I know a lot of you do exhibits and you have food and beverage on your exhibit floor. I don't think our exhibits are going to be that close together uh, anytime soon either, or they're going to be much smaller. It's changing constantly and we just have to kind of figure this out with our food and beverage partners and our suppliers. And I think everybody's on the same page pretty much on, on understanding and how to do this. Okay. Outside the meeting space. So this is something that you need to talk to your hotel partners about um, as well is how are they going to, where's food and beverage outside of their meeting space? Think of the sundry shops, the store, the shops that they buy candy and soda and water. What is that going to be like? You know, who's that person in there? Is it going to be self-serve when you walk in there? You know, a lot of properties have put those water jugs in the lobby, self-serve coffee and water 24-7, basically. Those are going away. The food food service or room service to attendees is going to be different as well. Servers are not going to come into the room. It will all have these metal dish. Most majority food service, room service does come with the plate covers on top of it. And that server opens it up and presents it to you when it pulls it into the room. That's not going to happen. It's probably going to be order it and come down and pick it up in a bag or a box, or it's going to be dropped to the outside of your room and with a knock on the door to make sure that you get it right away. But, and then think about mini bars and refrigerators in your room. Somebody was talking to you yesterday is like, well, Hey, if you are requiring me to bring my own food, you know, are you going to have a refrigerator in the room for me? A lot of hotels are taking those out because it's a contact point, which, you know, and it could be contaminated by the person before me. And think about coffee pots as well as the coffee in, in the room. A lot of properties are taking those out. So you have to look at the amenities that your property typically has and how has that changed? A conversation I was having, yes, I think it was yesterday, you know, a friend of a friend went on a booked a room up in the Hamptons and it was at $800 a night room, which blows my mind, but which is typical for the summer rates of the Hamptons, but the spa was closed. The restaurants were closed. The pool had limited hours. The gym had limited hours if it was even open. And you know, that higher level of service that you would look for on that, you have to go back and ask what, what do you still have operational? You know, look at your concessions that you've negotiated. Does anything relate around food and beverage or the service that you've done? And if that's being taken away, can you renegotiate your rates on something food and beverage wise as well? Let's talk about the, your food and beverage minimum. So you probably had a minimum and you're not going to get the attendees that you had to the level of what you had. But you have to understand, are you, can you reduce that food and beverage minimum with your catering partner to accommodate that? Or can you upgrade your food to meet that minimum? One of the things that I really liked that I heard, actually, it was probably at the beginning of COVID, was that one event canceled wholeheartedly and they were being charged the food and beverage minimum. The only cancellation fee they were being charged was for the food and beverage minimum to cancel. And what that event did, they said, we're going to pay this to you, but instead of throwing the food away that you already have, 
I need you to make that food and I need you to go distribute it to the local community. That's a great CSR for you to give back. Utilizing your money, so your money and the food does not go to waste. But you need to have those conversations as soon as you possibly can to set up those distribution channels. And there are a lot of companies that have been developed from COVID that are helping distribute food to consumers in the market that need food. The meeting organizer needs to communicate on their event website, you know, these are the practices that we're doing. These are the food safety practices that we're adhering to for our event. This is how we're going to be serving food. This is the times that we're going to be serving food. Here are our menus. Making it on your website and on your event apps, communicating how you're servicing them is really, really important. And it's not just about the food. you got to communicate everything going forward. But having food information is going to be just as important as well. You need to have a one sheet that says, hey, this is our practices. You need to be upfront and honest about it, but you need to be transparent about what you're doing because that's gonna make or break how a a meeting planner and how an attendee sees you and wants to work with you. Thanks again for listening and to view the full webcast on demand and earn CMP credits, visit northstarmeetingsgroup.com backslash foodwebcast. And be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Thanks so much.